15. I'm going to share with you uh, a story of courage, collaboration, initiative, uh, ingenuity, and science in adversity. So a story for our times. Now I'm going to begin, if I may, by reading the very short first paragraph of my book, Latitude, because it sets the scene for this expedition. We're in Rochefort, a port in the west coast of France in the 1730s. The tide was turning. Soon the moon would pull the sea down the Black River. From the darkness came the gargle of water on wet mud and the eerie calls of unseen birds. On the west bank, the roofs and towers of Rochefort fused with the inky sky. A muffled clunk carried through the damp air. Boatmen were taking to their oars. The waiting was almost over. The ship's hull shivered as her three masts turned across the fading stars. Morning had broken on the 12th of May, 1735. Well, on board that French frigate that May were 10 French scientists. They were sailing to South America. En route, they were going to pick up two Spanish scientists. Now, the quest for the disparate dozen of the Enlightenment was to measure on the ground the precise length of one degree of latitude at the equator. They were then going to compare that figure with the length of one degree of latitude in France, which had already been measured. And by comparing those two figures, they're going to work out the precise shape of the Earth and figure out whether it was stretched at the poles or bulged at the equator. They knew Earth wasn't a perfect sphere, but did it bulge at the equator? Now, it sounds a fairly abstract kind of quest for 12 scientists to sail halfway around the world in 1735, but it really mattered because without knowing the true shape of the Earth, you couldn't construct accurate sea charts and land maps. So the story of latitude picks up where Darvis Bell's longitude leaves off. Very different stories. Longitude, of course, was the story of the brilliant English clockmaker, John Harrison. Latitude is the story of this very disparate and actually dysfunctional group of scientists who set off several decades before Harrison completed his fifth brilliant maritime clock, seagoing clock. So who were these, these uh, international scientists? Well, the leading trio came from the Fran French Academy in Paris. Their leader was Louis Godin, totally ineffective as a leader. You wouldn't want to put him in charge of a boulangerie. The, the best of the three at math, at mathematics, was Pierre Bouget. He was a professor of hydrography from Britain, Brittany. And then if we could have the first picture, please, Daisy. My favorite uh, of the trio was Charles-Marie de la Condamine, a war veteran, uh, a friend of Voltaire, bit of a <coughs> bit of a reckless troublemaker, an adventurer. Um, the two Spanish lieutenants were very young. Uh, they were trained killers, uh, and they were brilliant navigators. And they'd been selected for the expedition because without having two Spaniards on board, uh, the French wouldn't get permission to operate in the Spanish-controlled South America. It was a Spanish colony. So the Spanish were there actually as a diplomatic um, uh, make-happen operation. Alongside those five leading scientists were the, the uh, specialists, and the assistants. So there was a surveyor, there was an artist, there was a botanist, instrument maker, two assistants, a surgeon, and a dog. It took them one year to reach the Pacific coast of South America. So this is, you know, in the age of the internet, this seems absolutely mad, doesn't it? But a year to get from the west coast of Europe 
the west coast of South America. That's because they had to sail the Atlantic, they had to muck about in the Caribbean, picking up supplies. Then they had to cross the Panamanian Isthmus on mules and on, on horses to reach the Pacific, then hitched another uh, uh, ship down south to um, the coast of Quito. Uh, now they had a lot of junk with them, a lot of equipment. Uh, among their equipment were crates and crates of scientific instruments. They had 21 trunks of books. They had nine barrels of, of French spirits, 225 pounds of gunpowder. They had swords and muskets, 28 tents, blankets, surgical equipment, cooking utensils, dress clothes and wig powder and stashes of Andalusian tobacco. Could we have the next picture, please, Daisy? Now this painting by um, Frederick Edwin Church, American landscape painter, is, uh, if you like, it's, it's, it's a romanticized imaginary image painted in Europe of what Europeans thought that equatorial South America looked like. It's amazingly accurate in terms of its components. You've got a, a ravine full of a, a, a river with snow melt in the foreground. You've got the rainforest in the middle distance. And then behind at the back there, at the left-hand side, you can see the rising pyramid of a snowy volcano because this is the land of the volcanoes as well. Now, as soon as they got on shore, they found that all romance left them. It's very tough indeed. Not in this painting were the things that make life very difficult for an explorer. Snakes, llamas, getting, having to travel by llama, carry, put their luggage on llamas, opossums, scorpions. They're all stung by scorpions, mosquitoes, absolute nightmare, and jaguars, which would raid their food at night. Uh, so it's quite a struggle. Remember, none of these people, you know, have ever been to Equatorial South America before. It wasn't, you know, there were no planes or, 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 or cruise ships to get you over to South America to have a, do a recce. Uh, so they're all newcomers. Um, the team itself um, was too big to be controlled by one leader. And as I suggested, Louis Godin was, 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 was not um, a man who, who ought to be put in charge of, uh, of the laundry, let alone an international expedition. And he lost control very early on not least because he spent a lot of time in the Caribbean in a, in a brothel and squandered valuable expedition funds on a diamond for his favorite prostitute. Um, so that wasn't a great, uh, a great image for the expedition leader. Um, and pretty soon he became discredited by the rest of the team. And the man who really took over was Pierre Bouger, the hydrographer. La Condamine, the my great hero, was the other leading light. Um, now, the problem with Lacondamine was that he was very keen on his own side trips. And uh, as soon as they made landfall on South America, before he even started the main scientific work, Lacondamine took off on his own into the rainforest to go in search of, among other things, a gold mine, uh, while the rest of the expedition con continued down the coast to Guayaquil and inland on a convoy of mules and horses over the mountains, over the, over the high Andes to get to Quito, where they were going to be based for the entire mission. Uh, Le Condamine eventually caught them up and uh, on the way had done some very interesting research on rubber. He produced the first European description of rubber. Nothing to do with measuring one degree of latitude, but that was the, the story of his, his 10 years in South America. He kept discovering peripheral uh, uh, interests and, uh, and, uh, and, and science that collectively changed the, the whole nature of the expedition. Um, I mentioned some of the difficulties they faced. One of the, one of the great things then was, you know, um, this, this is the, the old world of the Inca Empire. There were no wheeled vehicles in the Inca Empire. And so this, this was 200 years after the Incas had been wiped out by Spanish conquistadors and disease. Um, the means of travel was pretty much the same. So you traveled on horseback or on foot or on mules over precipitous mountain trails. When you came to a river, you crossed on a swaying rope bridge. 
or you had your horse um, uh, dragged across in a rope sling to the far side, getting swept downstream in these ferocious ravines, uh, these, these snowmelt rivers was one of the greatest risks. Disease was also an enormous risk. Um, and you get a hint of this from the, the mission's doctor, Jusseau, who uh, found that one of his most difficult um, ailments to, uh, to, to cure among the expedition members was gangrene in the rectum, as he described it. Um, a, a treatment, and here's the, here's the prescription for dealing with gangrene of the rectum. It must be attended, he says, with no small pain as a pessary composed of gunpowder, guinea pepper, and a lemon peeled is insinuated into the anus and changed two or three times a day till the patient is judged to be out of danger. So just imagine what it's like riding a horse with an explosive pessary um, inserted, not good. Um, now, apart from gangrene the rectum, the other kinds of ailments they, they faced included malaria. And within a month of arriving in Quito, um, the youngest member of the mission completely tragically was dead. He died of malaria, he's a very short, ferocious fever and he'd gone. So already before they'd started work, they'd lost one of the 12. Now, the main part of the mission consisted of laying out a virtual chain of triangles over 200 miles of the Andes. These are, this is a, a chain of, of, of volcanic mountains, some of them live volcanoes separated by a deep valley. And they'd chosen this place because they intended to, they intended to use the high points on the volcanoes for the corners of the triangles. They had to measure the angles within the triangles uh, to compute the length of the sides of the triangles. And by doing that over and over and over and again, laying out 30 or 40 triangles every 200 miles, they'd be able to measure on the ground the precise length of one degree of latitude. Actually, the, the triangles was gonna cover three degrees of latitude. And then to make it more accurate, they'd extend it from one to three, then they were going to mathematically reduce it to one. So it's a very, very accurate operation. So 200 miles of triangulation lay ahead of them. Um, if we go to the next picture, please, Daisy. Um, now I wrote this book. Um, uh, in the depths of the lockdown um, and uh, uh, last year, starting in about um, January. So I didn't have access to my usual sources of research, the London Library and the British Library. I, I'm in central London now and it's just a, a, a 10 minute bicycle ride to both of them. And, and so this is, a, I, I write nonfiction books, so not being able to get at those two libraries was a real challenge. And so I, I, I was entirely dependent on the internet and on what I could find in my own loft above my head here. And I was very lucky because back in 1989, um, I'd made a journey to um, uh, uh, um, uh, Ecuador um, with um, the young lady who I hope would be my wife. I, I, I was expecting pro to propose to her there, but um, it turned out to be a much more difficult land than I'd expected to travel in. So this is a picture Annabelle took of me high in the mountains, very close to one of these volcanoes that are being used to measure the triangles. Um, now, I'm, I'm flaked out in the grass here, um, and there's a reason for that. Um, there's an enormous shortage of fresh water in the high Andes. It's incredibly exposed. You can see there's no tree cover. So this is exactly the kind of terrain these 12 scientists were operating in in the 1730s. Just imagine, they haven't got Gore-Tex, they haven't got lovely warm fleece jackets and so on. They're, they're dressed in local wools, wools and cottons. Um, uh, next picture, please, Daisy. Um, so here is um, uh, a picture in La Condamine's book um, showing one of their high altitude camps. Um, it's, uh, you can see in the picture you've got the tent. Uh, this is a, a much more, um, if you like, it's, it's a, a prettified version of what was actually happening. So 
the tent would have looked a bit like that, but they were not dressed in frock coats. They were ragged, they were bearded, they were unkempt. They sometimes had to spend three or four weeks camping on volcanoes in a tent before being able to take the quadrant sightings they needed to measure the angles between the, the triangles. So you can see here the, the man in front of the tent, the, uh, the scientist in front of the tent has got a quadrant. He's measuring the angle between two volcanoes, one erupting on the right, one erupting on the left. And then you can see two men climbing the slopes of the volcano with staffs. They're going up there to set up the next station that's going to be measured with the quadrant. So a very laborious task. Um, and it took them four years, nearly four years, to conclude the triangulation. Um, having measured the, on the ground their, 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 um, their three degrees of latitude in terms of distance, they then, then had the difficult bit to do. They had to lock the two ends of the chains of triangles to the stars using astronomy. If we could have the next pick, please, Daisy, the final one. Um, uh, and to do that, they had to use an instrument that gave them four years of strife. This is a zenith sector. You can see it above it, there's a telescope. It's up to 18 foot long. They had to build several of them. There's a hole in the roof because to make this instrument work, you had to build an, uh, build a, build an observatory for it. So you needed two devices. You needed a pendulum clock on the wall. You needed a telescope uh, pointing up at the stars and you measured the height of uh, above the horizon of, of the star they were using to fix latitude. I mean, in this case is Epsilon Orion. So it took them another four years to get the measurements that would lock the two ends of their chain of triangles to the cosmos. Um, and when they finally managed to uh, get the measurements, did all the mathematics, they found that the length on the ground of one degree of latitude at the equator was 56,753 toys. The toys was a French unit of measurement at the time, about six foot long. And by comparing that, that figure to the length of one degree of latitude in France, they proved beyond any doubt that one degree of latitude was shorter at the equator than at the poles. And the world did indeed bulge at the equator. It was pumpkin shape. shape. So that was their very successful exhibition, and, and you know, ten years to come up with a number. It was, it was, a, it seems like a very straightforward quest, but it led to all sorts of difficulties. As I mentioned, the youngest assistant uh, died of malaria. Uh, the surgeon was murdered uh, during a, a fiesta in a, in a bull ring, um, and of the of the twelve, um, uh, only eight of them came home. Um, apart from the one who died of disease and the one who was murdered, the artist. Um, fell to his death from scaffolding on a church. He, had, he was doing work on the side to try and make money to save up enough to come home. The instrument maker, the man who'd built the Zenith sectors for them, never did come home. Uh, he was stranded in France, unable to, to uh, raise enough funds to get a ship back home. And La Condamine, my hero, he, uh, he should have come straight back. Um, but uh, having survived 10 years on the equator in storms and all sorts of trials and tribulations, he. Uh, decided to come back the difficult way and uh, built a balsawood raft and came down the Amazon to the Atlantic and then took a ship back from there. I'm just going to close with, with, a, with a, a, a reading I, I absolutely love. It's a picture of one of the two Spanish naval lieutenants, the, uh, the guy who was 19 when he got, went out to uh, the equator. And here he is in his 70s back in Spain, described by an English clergyman who went to visit him. Uh, Ulloa was seven, in his 70s at the time. This great man, diminutive in stature, remarkably thin and bowed down with age, clad like a peasant, occupied a room that measured 20 feet by 14 feet, in which were dispersed confusedly chairs, tables, trunks, boxes, books and papers, a bed, a press, umbrellas, clothes, 
carpenter's tools, mathematical instruments, a barometer, a clock, guns, pictures, looking glasses, fossils, minerals and shells, his kettle, basins, jugs, American antiquities and money. I love that image of the explorer at home in his retirement. I'd like to end up like that one day. Um, as for Le Condamine, the maverick who enjoyed experiments, he died of blood poisoning after inviting a friend to conduct an experimental hernia, hernia surgery on him. And what a guy. Um, the true legacy of this extraordinary band of explorer scientists was their pioneering, pioneering role as the world's first international scientific expedition. And today it's this international scientific collaboration that will once again decide the shape of our future world.